Well, the people have spoken, and at Mr. Spielman's suggestion, uh, we will have a new open for the show on uh, Wednesday, so uh, I have some uh, things to accomplish. Uh, We will also have Mr. Spielman on Wednesday. We were going to have him today uh, until his um, airline flight was delayed more than five hours getting out of Tampa on uh, Sunday after the Cardinals beat the Buccaneers. He'll be back in Tampa this week, and I'm sure excited about that, given the fact that he couldn't get home until uh, around 4 a.m. today. So we're not going to make the big man come in today uh, to do the podcast. And I'm disappointed. You're disappointed. I understand your disappointment. I would love to hear from Chris on the Chase Young situation and on the uh, LSU-Alabama game, on the Browns' victory over the Buffalo Bills and Ryan Finley's debut. We'll get all that on Wednesday for sure. Uh, and maybe even a bonus edition of the Spielman and Hooley podcast on Tuesday, pending an outcome on Chase Young. But it's my pleasure to welcome you today to the We Tackle Life podcast. And let's uh, get right to it with the Ohio State Buckeyes on Saturday, taking down the Maryland Terrapins. It was just what we thought. It was uh, 73 to 14. It was not close. It was not at all like last year when it was 52 to 51. But of course, this Ohio State defense is not at all like last year's. And that's the difference with this football team. The offense is still high powered, although different with Justin Fields. And now, um, if you weren't intrigued by that one, uh, just be glad that you had some degree of buzz. Um, maybe not pleasant buzz, but buzz nonetheless, built in by Chase Young's suspension, inactivity. I don't even, is he suspended? He's just inactive. Let's go with inactive. I'll probably misspeak. He's not suspended, I don't think. I don't think that's fair to Chase Young. Um, And we don't know if he even broke an NCAA rule at this point in time. But we'll hopefully get some dispensation on that this week. So there's some buzz, some unwelcome buzz that the Maryland game had. And then there was other buzz that uh, Joel Klatt and Gus Johnson introduced uh, to the proceedings and probably uh, definitely shouldn't have introduced uh, to the proceedings. And I don't know if we'll uh, hear any more about that this week. I can guarantee you we would hear a lot more about that this week if what Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt said about Maryland, uh, they had said about Ohio State. Woo, boy, would we be hearing about that. But, uh, look, Ohio State's in a holding pattern where they can afford a two-game Chase Young suspension. Uh, probably, other than hurt Chase Young's Heisman Trophy candidacy, and I think that is done now, because uh, you might not think it's fair. I'm, I'm, not ta- I'm not talking about whether it's fair or not. I'm talking about what is reality. I'm the mayor of Realtown on this one. There will be a lot of Heisman voters who will not vote for Chase Young because he is perceived at this point to, and maybe later proven to or proven not to, but he's perceived to have done something that college football players are not supposed to do, which is take a loan from a family friend, an agent, we don't know. You can say, well, he's not an agent. Okay, that is why we're waiting to find out on Chase Young. If we knew for sure that Chase Young was being 100% truthful and absolutely correct in saying that this was a family friend, that's how Chase termed the person who loaned him the money um, whenever it was. And I hesitate to get into the specifics of this and to trust the reporting on this because there's been all kinds of speculation, and I don't want to engage in speculation my viewpoint on the whole Chase Young thing, and pretty much any story now involving uh, Ohio State, is that I would rather not be first than be wrong. I would rather not be first than be wrong. I don't want to be wrong. 
I don't want to say it's going to be X number of games. I don't want to say he used the money for this, that, and the other. I will tell you who said what he used the money for. Bruce Feldman of uh, Fox has reported that, uh, excuse me, of The Athletic. He's on Fox TV. Bruce Feldman has reported that Chase Young took out the loan to fly his girlfriend to the Rose Bowl. Okay, maybe he did, maybe he didn't, I don't know. Uh, That is not, I don't think, the key issue on this. The key issue on this will be, who's the person who loaned the money? Is that person an agent? Was that person doing it because they were trying to position themselves with Chase Young to get in good with him to hopefully leverage his future earnings? That's the whole thing. Um, I've heard a couple names, but I'm not going to give you the names. And if those names are the names connected to it, then that would not be great. Uh, Joel Klatt uh, of Fox, of course, spent Friday with Ohio State uh, in the football facility. So you would think uh, that as Fox is uh, a partner, a television partner of the Big Ten, they own 51%, I think, of the Big Ten network or 50%. That maybe Ohio State's a little bit more free with information around Joel Klatt and Gus Johnson. I don't know that they are, but they might be. Gus, uh, Joel Klatt, Saturday, was adamant the person was not an agent. Not an agent, not an agent, not an agent. He put that out on Twitter. Now, yesterday, Joel Klatt did a little three-and-a-half-minute video, and you can find it on his Twitter page, where he did not say the person's not an agent. He did not say that. Uh, he did not refer to that. He did not say, hey, I was wrong the day before. He just didn't say anything about it, which I found, at the very least, interesting. I don't know if it means anything. I don't know if he just forgot that aspect of the story. But Saturday, he was adamant the person was not an agent. And then Sunday, in his little video, three-and-a-half-minute capsulized recap of the Chase Young situation, he didn't say anything about the uh, yes, an agent, no, an agent. So we don't know. That will be the difference. That will make a difference in whatever penalty comes down. Kirk Herbstreet, Saturday... Uh, sharing information on game day, said Ohio State expects a four-game suspension, but they believe they'll appeal it down to two. Um, and everybody focused on the four instead of the two, which I don't really understand. Uh, Herbie, a few years back, well, more than a few now, remember when Herbie reported that Les Miles had accepted the Michigan job when LSU was getting ready to play Ohio State in the 2007 season national championship game? And Herbie was like, later on he told me, he's like, I'm out of the reporting news business, Bruce. It's not worth the hassle. Well, I'm sure he feels that same way today because everybody focused on the big number rather than the smaller number, and he was adamant the smaller number was the number that will eventually end up with. If it's two games, it's no big deal. I mean, it's a big deal to Chase Young's maybe reputation with some people. It's not a big deal to Ohio State season. They're going to crush Rutgers more than they crushed Maryland, I think, because, look, at least for Maryland, you had walk-ons over there that you can throw out on the field. Uh, At Rutgers, you're not going to have walk-ons. They're not going to take – 20 walk-ons on the travel squad just because it's Rutgers. Okay, so Justin Fields was great. One rushing touchdown, three passing touchdowns in the first half. J.K. Dobbins was great. Two rushing touchdowns. Uh, Zach Harrison got his first sack in place of Chase Young. It was, um, you know, it was expect. It was what we expected. Here's Ryan Day on how the Ohio State Buckeyes handled the adversity of Chase Young being taken away from them uh, middle of the week. Well, you know, this, this uh, not, not necessarily this team, but a lot of guys in this team have, have been through adversity with, with our coaching staff, with, with me uh, uh, the, as the head coach. And so this isn't anything new. So our guys didn't flinch. And uh, there was a part of, you know, it was a bunch of guys on our team like, okay, got some adversity, let's go. Let's, let's, pull, let's pull this thing together. 
let's uh, let's show everybody how tight this team is and what we're really made of, and, and show our character. And I thought that that came uh, that, that came through today during the game. Yeah, he's referring to the whole TCU situation and Urban suspension, and you know, it's, Ohio State's not a drama-free program. It's a it's a big boy program. It's one of the preeminent programs in the country. It's always in the top five uh, for the last essentially decade. So uh, these guys know how to handle it, and the opponent was not such that it was going to make any difference at all. Uh, Ryan also, after the game, had to uh, dismiss uh, message board-type speculation uh, from Joel Klatt and Gus Johnson on the broadcast. So let me just set the stage for this. Okay, Chase Young's from Cheltenham, Maryland. Ohio State's playing Maryland. And, you know, then the loan thing comes up. And Ohio State sits Chase Young down while they get to the bottom of this. Um, let me think what happened. Or, okay, so the onside kick up fourteen to nothing. Beautiful onside kick by Blake Hobbill and Chris Olave. Beautiful onside kick that gives other teams a lot to think about going forward, and that's why you do it. And you also do it to keep your team interested in a week where otherwise you know you're going to smoke the opponent. So you got the onside kick, and then late in the half, Ohio State is up. Uh, I believe it's forty-two nothing, maybe forty-nine nothing. And there's less than a minute to go, and Ohio State has three timeouts because, you know, they're not Freddie Kitchens. They're, they're not blowing their timeouts up just for fun. They're actually using their timeouts strategically. And so Ryan Day calls a timeout after first down, and then he calls a timeout after second down, and then uh, this happened on Fox between uh, Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt making a clear insinuation that Ryan Day had an ulterior motive for trying to save time on the clock late in the half. Another timeout. They had all three of them left, and they absolutely will get the ball back here. Ryan Day pouring it on a little bit here. It's personal. Yeah, this is uh, this is interesting, partner, with what's going on this week. Remember, Chase Young is from that Washington, D.C. area. Said he borrowed money from a family friend. Who would know about that? <laughs> this, this seems interesting. 42 nothing. taking the timeouts. If they stop them here, they're getting the ball back. Okay, so that is obviously an accusation by Joel Klatt and Gus Johnson that Maryland turned in Chase Young on the loan. Um, I sat right up in my chair when I heard that. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm like, wow. Okay, my knowledge of this situation is the TV guys are over at Ohio State all day Friday, and look, I thought of it too. Uh, Coincidental, he's from Maryland. They're playing Maryland, okay? Uh, So I thought, all right, they're over at Ohio State all day Friday afternoon, and they're sure acting like they got inside information on all this stuff. So uh, maybe that is exactly why Ryan Day did what he did, and kudos to Rob Oller of the Columbus Dispatch for asking the question of Ryan Day after the game. Ryan, going to let you respond to this. On TV, they were talking about the timeouts, the onside kick, and there was an implication that uh, this might have been personal for you, uh, the inference being that Maryland was somehow involved in the chase, uh, bringing that to light. Uh, no, nothing like that at all. Okay. No, no that, that, nothing like that at all. Nope, that wasn't anything uh, other than just I mean, we're always going to be aggressive in the first half. I mean, I, I feel like – 
when you're playing the first half of any game, anything could happen in the second half. So you do the best you can to be aggressive. And then if it gets out of hand in the second half, you, you know, you're, you're smart about, you know, tempo. You're sh smart about maybe taking shots, especially in the fourth quarter. And you want to run the game, you know, run the ball and show respect. And, you know, I thought we did that. You know, I thought we ran the ball and kind of played slow in the second half. Uh, by no means uh, would I ever try to run up a score at all. It's just, you know, we're letting our guys play. And uh, so, no, that, that would be completely out of line. Yeah, uh, speaking of completely out of line, Joel Klatt and Gus Johnson doing that without any Ohio State confirmation of the idea they put forth that Maryland turned in Ohio State is way out of line. Now, let's examine this from an alternative universe. Can you imagine? Of course you can. The furor, the storm Joel Klatt and Gus Johnson would be in if they made that accusation about Ohio State. You know, as a player on Maryland, Maryland's a good team. Let's say it's Wisconsin week, and Jonathan Taylor comes up in a similar jackpot, and the game's at Camp Randall, and Clatton Johnson are in the football facility over there with Paul Christ, and then he breaks that out on Saturday afternoon. And then Paul Christ comes out after the game and goes, no, no not, not true at all. And by the way, if you watch Ryan Day's face, on OhioStateBuckeyes.com when Rob Bowler asked the question. Ryan Day is the biggest, is the best actor in the world if that reaction, like, huh? He gets a look on his face like, what? They said, what? If that's fake, if that's a fake reaction, then Robert De Niro has nothing on Ryan Day. So I think it was a totally genuine answer from Ryan Day. And uh, what are Joel Klatt and Gus Johnson's lives like over the weekend if they make that accusation about Ohio State? They're, they're, uh, they're making audible beeping sounds from backing up. That's what their life is like. And it should be that way in this situation, even though it's Maryland. <clears throat> because, you know, creating something goofy and stupid and gossipy like that is wrong. Uh, to say about Mike Loxley and to say about Maryland, just like it would be wrong to say about Ryan Day and to say about Ohio State. But Maryland has no cachet, no swag, no standing in the Big Ten. Mike Loxley's, you know, he's guys like four and twenty, uh, four and thirty something as a head coach. Mike Loxley, he's not going to be able to create any uh, hassle for Gus Johnson and for Joel Klatt. But it's wrong, and those two guys should know better. And this, to me, is why you know I tweeted before the game on Saturday. I'd really enjoy this game if it were Sean McDonough and Todd Blackwich. And I know a lot of you love Clatt and Johnson, and I know why you love Clatt and Johnson, because they carry water for the Big Ten, and they carry water for Ohio State. And I just feel like Ohio State doesn't need anybody to carry water for them. They're really good, folks. They are really good. And I've covered a lot of Ohio State football, and I've seen some really good Ohio State football teams. Chris has been saying this could be the greatest Ohio State team ever. I won't say that out of respect for the players who have, you know, completed their seasons and won national championships, but I'm not eliminating this team from that equation. This team is expertly coached, very humble, very hungry, very likable, um, very, uh, very uh, wide-ranging in its talents and abilities to beat you. So there's no box this team does not check at this point in time, and that's why I don't need guys to shill for Ohio State and, you know, bring the histrionics on in the manner that Johnson and Klatt do. Uh, so I just think it's dumb. And the other thing that I think is dumb is, like, what is this stuff from Ohio State fans after the game on Saturday celebrating, and, and Ohio State media, too. I mean, really, come on, guys, look in the mirror. 
saying Alabama's out on the basis of its lost LSU. Now, I know why you want Alabama out, because you don't want to play Alabama. And my question would be, why don't you want to play Alabama? And, and your obvious answer, I suppose, is, well, I don't want to lose to Alabama. Folks, you have you watched your team? Have you watched Bama? I said last week to Chris, LSU will win the game easy. Now, you know, it was a five-point game, but did LSU have control of the game? Yes. Do you think Ohio State's offense is as good as LSU's? I do. I think it's better. Because while Joe Burrow made some nice runs on Saturday, he can't run like Justin Fields. Let's let's just okay, let's just say all the players on LSU are equal to all the players on Ohio State, which I don't believe. I don't believe that. I mean, I think Edwards Elaire, their running back's really good. He's a kind of a J.K. Dobbins clone. I think Joe Burrow's really good, but I think Justin Fields maybe a little bit better because he can run. Yeah, LSU's got good wide receivers, good tight end. I'll give LSU the edge at tight end with Randy Moss's kid. I don't know LSU's defensive personnel. I know Ohio State's. I know LSU doesn't have a Chase Young. But let's just say, let's just start right there. Let's just start. Oh, they're all equal. They're all the same, exact same talent. Okay, now let's go over to the sideline. Let's go over there. Do you think LSU is equal on sideline to uh, Ryan Day and to Jeff Halfley and to Larry Johnson and to Kevin Wilson and to Mike Yersich? Because I don't. Because I don't. I think Ohio State's better coached. And so if I don't fear a comparison of Ohio State to LSU, why would I fear a comparison of Ohio State to Alabama? If you want to crown this team as the greatest Ohio State team of all time, do you want to win the national championship by beating Alabama and Clemson? Or do you want to win the national championship by being by beating Utah and Clemson? Because I'd rather go big and send everybody home. There would be great satisfaction, I would think, to you as an Ohio State fan, in beating Nick Saban and Tua Tungavaloa. I would think. And from what I saw Saturday, even though Tua was clearly about, I think he was about 65% in the first half and about 85% in the second half, um, Alabama would not beat Ohio State. I'm, I'm firmly convinced of that. So all these uh, fanboy reporters who were like, you know, making jokes about Bama and Saban and, oh, they're out and all this kind of stuff. Look, I don't know if they're out or not. I don't know if they're out or not. My eye test tells me, they're one of the best four teams in the country. And my, you know, my BS meter tells me if you're an Ohio State fan and you don't want to play them, the reason you don't want to play them is not because you don't think they're good enough to be in the top four. The reason you don't want to play them is because you're afraid they'll beat you. And I'm telling you, they're not going to beat you. They're not. They're not good enough to beat you. They don't have the defense to beat you. They got good offense. They got really good receivers. I think Najee Harris is a really good back and two is a really good quarterback. But Ohio State is better than Alabama Seven and a half to eight and a half, maybe nine times out of ten. Now, I mean, the goofy thing can happen, sure. Uh, but, yeah, I just think, man, if you're going to crown this season, you want to beat Utah? You want to beat, you know, Oregon? You want to beat Oklahoma? Flawed teams? Uh, or do you want to beat a real, genuine stud team? You know, honestly, 2015, January 2015, 2014 season, to me, that national championship is better if you beat Florida State, the defending national champion, and Jameis Winston, than if you beat Oregon. Now, at least Oregon had the Heisman Trophy winner. They're not going to have that this year because I think Joe Burrow won the Heisman on Saturday night. And that'll be a really interesting conversation um, between Chris and I when we get together Wednesday. And is that good for Ohio State that Joe Burrow won the Heisman? Or if he wins the Heisman? 
because, you know, how do you keep a backup quarterback here if your backup quarterback here left and won the Heisman? But I will say this. That is not meant at all to insinuate that Ohio State made the wrong choice in Dwayne Haskins because here's the equation. Here's the equation. Would you take, as an Ohio State fan, a year of Dwayne Haskins and two years of Justin Fields? Or would you take, as an Ohio State fan, two years of Joe Burrow and then Tate Martell as your quarterback or Matthew Baldwin as your quarterback? Because that's what it would have been. Because if they had picked Joe Burrow, Dwayne Haskins would have transferred. Joe Burrow would have played uh, the year he sat out at LSU. That would have been his junior year. Last year would have been his senior year. And now this year you'd be on to Martell or Baldwin, most likely. I mean, you could say, well, the Fields would have come here right after Joe Burrow. And you know what? Now that I think of that, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right on that. So maybe it's two years of Joe Burrow and two years of Justin Fields. Maybe that's the equation. But the point, the larger point is you're number one in a country with Justin Fields and without Joe Burrow. So I always say several things can be true at once. Joe Burrow's a boss. Justin Fields is a boss. And I would add Justin Fields is such a boss that to this point, nobody's really upset that the likely Heisman Trophy winner was here and left. And he's an Ohio kid. Now, I don't know if you're upset or not about the result of the uh, Minnesota-Penn State game. Takes some luster off the Penn State-Ohio State game. Penn State will not be a top-five team. I said all along, don't believe in them, don't have a good secondary. And the fact of the matter is... Minnesota, a running team, threw for at least three touchdowns against Penn State. So, Ohio State will have a field day against Penn State. It will not be close. Penn State does not have the athletes on defense in the secondary. I'm very precise with that language. They have defense up front. They have uh, athletes at receiver, and they have athletes in the uh, backfield. But they do not have the quarterback, and they do not have the secondary to beat Ohio State. So, the chesty little boatman gets a win, and he goes uh, surfing in the locker room and... uh, Now we'll see as Minnesota plays at Iowa on Saturday for the Floyd of Rosedale bronze pig. I kind of think, well, first of all, let's get to the Bengals. Speaking of bronze pigs, (laughs) speaking of, you know, (laughs) lipstick on a pig, uh, the Cincinnati Bengals lose to the Baltimore Ravens yesterday 49-13. to Lamar Jackson, the hero in this one. Here is the one and only Kevin Harlan. Yes, the man who gave us LeBron James with no regard for human life. Fortunately, on the call of Lamar Jackson's uh, turbo spin touchdown run against the Cincinnati Bengals. It's a second down and three. Jackson takes it himself. Look at him turn back and forth. Oh, he broke his ankles. Now he's got an entourage, and he's got a touchdown. He is Houdini. What a play. 47-yard touchdown run by the magical quarterback, Lamar Jackson. Wow. Yes, wow, that was quite a play. That is your Flashes of Fun. Picture perfect play of the day. Flashes of Fun will make you say wow when they take your senior pictures, when they take your pictures of a pet, when they take a picture of you with your pet. Uh, Flashes of Fun uh, took a senior picture of a girl who had chickens. And how many photographers do you think would let chickens go in their posh photography studio? But Flashes of Fun will meet you wherever you want to go. Indoors, outdoors, doesn't matter. They'll take beautiful pictures. And you'll also say wow when you see the price because you'll be like, whoa saved uh, thousands on that. Yes, you did. And you can save even more, $50 off, when you book online at flashesofun.com. Guys, you're always looking for a creative gift, you know, to make your uh, loved ones say, well, uh, I bought a photography session. Trust me on this. You'll spend less than you do on, uh, you know, big night on the town at a fancy steakhouse and flowers and candy and all that kind of stuff. So, flashesofun.com. 
Com. All right, I know I've been anti-Lamar Jackson, and you're going to say, well, today finally Bruce is going to come around and say Lamar Jackson had a perfect passer rating, and he had 65 yards on seven carries, and everybody around the league saying that he's better than Patrick Mahomes, and he's the league MVP, and, you know, finally, finally, finally Bruce is going to say I was wrong. Nope, 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 and nope. I believe within three years, Lamar Jackson will be figured out by NFL defensive coordinators. It wouldn't surprise me if it happened within a calendar year. Unless he learns to throw from the pocket and unless he learns to throw intermediate routes down the middle of the field, Lamar Jackson will be closer to RG3 than he will be to Patrick Mahomes. And they're going to be, in my opinion, I may be the one, I may this may come back and bite me, I may be wrong. Five, ten years from now, Lamar Jackson may be putting the Ravens in the playoffs like he's probably going to do this year. But I believe there are going to be a lot of people retracting a lot of tweets that bought into Lamar Jackson way too soon. Remember? Hey, remember RG3? RG3, better number two pick, better than Andrew Luck. Not really, no. So give NFL defenses a while to figure this guy out, and I believe they will figure him out. Now, it's not going to take very long uh, to figure out. Ryan Finley. Uh, but I would not blame the Bengals' 49-13 loss on Ryan Finley. And he wasn't spectacular. He was 16 of 30, 167 yards, about what you'd expect in a first start, except he also had an interception that Marcus Peters took back, like 90 yards for a touchdown, and he also had a scoop-and-score fumble for the Ravens. So, you know, Andy Dalton's a really good guy. I think Andy Dalton's probably not standing over there going, yeah, you see, you see, you think that's better than me? But I wouldn't blame him if he did. But I get why the Bengals are doing this. They have to do this. The Bengals have to take a quarterback. They have to. They have to take Justin Herbert. They have to take Joe Burrow. You say, well, why don't they have to take Tua? If Spiels was there, Bruce, he'd wrap you on the head and say Tua's the best quarterback in the draft. I'm going to say right now that I'm not a 1,000% sure Tua's coming out. Just because Tua seems to me to be the kind of guy who really wants to win a championship and really wants to go through. And he, you know, say, well, he won one as a freshman. He did, but he came in the second half of the championship game. Wasn't his team. It was Jalen Hurts' team. Jalen Hurts got him there. I'm just going to tell you, it would not surprise me if Tua Tungvaloa, with his family all around him in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, with the frustration of high ankle sprains on his left ankle as a sophomore and his right ankle as a junior, if they don't get in the playoff because of that loss to LSU, it would not surprise me if he comes back to school next year. And, yes, the Bengals being the team with the top pick would be a part of that, I would think. I don't think he wants to make his life in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I don't know that you enter the draft and risk that uh, if you're Tua. So I'm just going to say it wouldn't surprise me. Now, if they get in the playoff, then he's gone because you know he'll have a chance to seek a championship and uh, the loss to LSU won't have penalized them in that fashion. So, you know, they'll have gotten away with it. But just keep that in mind. If they don't get away with it, then it wouldn't surprise me if Tua stays. Now, speaking of getting away with it, ladies and gentlemen, my Cleveland Browns, 19-16 to 16 winners over the Buffalo Bills yesterday at uh, First Energy Stadium. Uh, congratulations. Yet, uh, I think this win might actually do more damage 
than a loss would have done over the long term. And I will tell you why after I tell you why. You need to get to Stover Farms Custom Meats at 4000 Presidential Parkway because Stover Farms Custom Meats will save you 15% off the best steaks, the best burgers, the best poultry and pork you'll ever find. Because why? Because Trevor Stover, the father of Mr. Football Cade Stover, Buckeye linebacker, grows all of his certified Angus beef on his very own farm up there in the Mansfield area. And then he processes a side of beef every week and brings it down to his retail store, which is open Thursday, Friday, and Saturday at 4000 Presidential Parkway. Just off Sawmill, there's a lighted presidential. You can't miss it. Uh, You turn and go east, and it's right there. Big sign on the building. Cannot miss it. Trust me, the steaks are phenomenal. The burger's phenomenal. Because there's no hormones, no no genetically modified organisms, nothing like that. It's the best stuff. If you have it, you'll taste the difference. You will taste the difference. So make sure you go in uh, 10 a.m. to 4.30-ish every day. Find them on the web, StoverFarmsCustomMeats.com, and get the exact hours. But make sure you mention the Spielman and Hooley podcast and get your 15% off. And I'm going to get with Trev this week, and we're going to work up a Thanksgiving special for you because don't buy that turkey anywhere else. Don't buy that turkey anywhere else. Don't buy that ham anywhere else. Stover Farms, you'll take it to the next level having your family over on Thanksgiving. You want to do it with Stover Farms Custom Meats. Know what's in your meat. Know what your protein is based upon. Good, grain-fed, grass-fed, Angus beef, and similarly grown poultry and pork. 15% off to Spielman and Hooley listeners. Okay, why do I say that the Browns' 1916 win over the Buffalo Bills is worse long-term for the Browns than a loss that would have dropped them to 2-7? and seven? Uh, very simply because if you drop to two and seven, you hopefully reach or at least proceed closer to desperation and to where, man, I got to learn from this. I got to learn from this. We got to make some. Now, I know they two and six. You say, well, they certainly were committed to making changes. And yeah, they've knocked the penalties down and and that's great. But yesterday, Browns get the kickoff, take it right down the field and score. 17-yard pass, Baker Mayfield to Jarvis Landry. Nice throw, nice catch. Everything's great. Jarvis Landry catches the ball, gets up, goes over to Buffalo cornerback Levi Wallace, who probably could have broken the pass up, maybe intercepted it if he'd turned around. So, you know, Landry made the play. Wallace didn't, which is fine. Until Landry decides, I have to tell you that I made the play and you didn't. And Landry gets in his face. And I knew right away, here comes the flag. Here comes the flag for unsportsmanlike conduct. Yep, there it is. And Buffalo coach Sean McDermott smartly takes the 15-yard penalty on the PAT. And now, the PAT is a 48-yard PAT instead of a 33-yard PAT. And Austin Seibert, who hasn't missed a field goal all year, of course, such a clock by it. Misses the point wide right. And so the Browns are up six to nothing. So at the end of the game, the Browns have the ball and they're driving and they are down 16 to 12 because they added two Cybert field goals the rest of the game until the final drive. So let's do the math, shall we? 16 to 12 driving down the field at the end of the game, you have to score a touchdown to win the game. Had Jarvis Landry kept his Jarvis Landry celebrating trap shut after the first touchdown, 
presumably, Seibert would have made the extra point because he didn't exactly airmail it. Closer kick, better chance of making it. And the Browns would have been down 16-13, to 13, which would have meant that they would not have had to score a touchdown on the last drive. Now, they did, so it somewhat renders the point moot. But wouldn't you rather have the fail-safe of kicking a field goal at the end to get to overtime at home than having the burden of scoring the touchdown to win the game. Yes, of course you would. And I had somebody come at me on Twitter yesterday when I made this point as the Browns were driving and say, well, you can't necessarily assume that the game would have proceeded the same way. Maybe they would have gone for it on fourth down instead of kicking a field goal earlier and la, 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 la. And while that is true, I would just counter with a simple question to you if you're prone to... Um, making allowances for this kind of dumb decision by Jarvis Landry. My question would be, at 2-6, and six, tell me in advance of kickoff how many points you're willing to throw away and not score in order to win the football game. How many points at 2-6 and six do you think you're so much better than the 6-2 and two Buffalo Bills that you can say, no, we don't need that one, No, we don't need that three. No, we don't need that seven. How many points at two and six are you willing to spot a six and two team undefeated on the road and be confident you're going to win? Because my number on that is zero. That's my number. I'm not willing to spot the Buffalo Bills, even though I don't necessarily think they're as good as the other six and two teams in the league. They are nevertheless six and two. And I'm not willing to spot them any points, and so that's one of the reasons I'm upset. But the main reason I'm upset is because you would think after the game, Jarvis Landry would say, whoo, man, Baker Mayfield really saved my bacon at the end there because if, you know, a million of th- a million things had gone wrong, if we had not scored a touchdown or, heaven forbid, they blocked a field goal or we missed a field goal and we lost in regulation 16-12 to 12, or, you know, we went into overtime and Buffalo won the game, or I'd feel like an idiot. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Doug Maurice of Cleveland.com reports that Jarvis Landry thought the call was bogus and said, and I quote, I do the exact same thing absolutely. Because his theory is, and it's supported by his quarterback, that the Browns need and thrive and live and survive off the edge that Jarvis Landry gives them. Uh, That is why going forward, you know, if you don't learn from your mistakes, what will you do? You will repeat them. And every week now, you think Thursday night against the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Browns are... Good enough to give away points? Because I don't. So, honestly, yesterday after Jarvis Landry did that on the first touchdown, I would have loved it, loved it, if Freddie Kitchens would have gone up to Jarvis Landry and said, hey, you see that heated bench over there? Go have a seat on it, and then we'll talk at halftime about whether or not I'm going to trust you enough to be a real leader on this team and get back out there and play again. 
That's what a good coach with discipline who wants to end the nonsense that contributes to the Cleveland Browns being a massively underachieving team given the talent that they have. That is what a good coach would have done. Now, I will give Freddie Kitchens credit yesterday in that he finally, apparently, disciplined Antonio Callaway for who knows what. But Antonio Callaway, who should have been cut by this football team, the minute he tested in violation of the NFL's PED or substance abuse policy, should have been cut immediately because he was already on his supposed second last chance. He finally did, they finally did sit down Antonio Callaway. And as uh, I said yesterday, I'm not surprised Antonio Callaway is in a jackpot with the Cleveland Browns. I am just shocked the Cleveland Browns actually disciplined him. Very, 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 very shocked. Okay, so we got the Browns and we've got the Steelers on Thursday night. Uh, Spiels will weigh in on Wednesday on the college football playoff rankings, which will be out Tuesday night. Will LSU pass Ohio State? I'm guessing here. I suppose they will. Um, yeah, they beat Bama. That's impressive. But I mean, what do you want Ohio State to beat Maryland? 103-14? to 14? I don't know how you penalize Ohio State. They don't look like a number one team beating Maryland 73 to 14. Um, and this is the this is the beauty of and the fallacy of this this committee and this playoff that we have. In that we don't know what they think because they don't really tell us what they're thinking. We don't even know what their strength of schedule metric is. I've tried to figure out what their strength of schedule metric is because last week they said Ohio State's schedule's superior to LSU's, and then I see ESPN yesterday comes out with a story that LSU, there's only like Ohio State would have only a 16% chance of being undefeated if they played LSU's schedule, which I don't agree with, but there's some obviously that's some different metric that they have. So we don't even know what the data is that they're using. And here are... Um, Two things that I would say about the committee and all this falderall that's going to come out over the next weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks of, well, we, we, we're better than you because of this, and we're better than you because of this. Okay, as I told you before, the first thing is opponents' win percentage is a stupid stat. Joel Klatt lies with statistics when he throws out opponents' win percentage because opponents' win percentage is based on your opponents' wins and losses. So you're telling me you think playing Liberty, who lost to Rutgers, is as tough as playing Notre Dame because up until Saturday, and they may still have, but up until Saturday they had the exact same number of wins. So that's the first thing that's stupid. The other thing that I think is stupid is this comparison of schedules because you say, well, I know Obama hasn't played anybody or there'll be people who say Ohio State hasn't played anybody now that Michigan State is tanking. By the way, nice job, Sparty, giving up four touchdowns at home in the fourth quarter to Illinois. Way to hurt Ohio State's strength of schedule. Um, the question is not, you know, who's Bama played and then relative to, like, who you've played. The question is, what would you do against Bama's schedule? What would Bama do against your schedule? What would you do against LSU's schedule? And there's no way to know. There's no way to know. Would Ohio State win at Texas? Yeah, I think so. Would Ohio State win at home against Auburn and Florida? Probably. Would Ohio State win at Alabama? I don't know, but I said earlier they, they would. And I think they would. But, I mean, that's that's a more fair comparison, isn't it? It's not like, well, we played these guys and you played those guys, you know. So we played, you know, we ate oranges, we ate apples, so we're better than you, we eat healthier than you. Huh? 
They're both chock full. One's chock full of vitamin C, one's chock full of fiber. Who knows who's healthier? And the other thing that I think is just stupid in that same vein is, well, you know, uh, uh, you got to win a league championship. You got to win a league championship because, hey, you know, we got to put Clemson in over Bama because Clemson won a championship and Bama didn't. So you don't think Bama could win the ACC? Because that's what Clemson won. <laughs> I mean, that's the question. Is not, well, they didn't win a championship in their league. Well, no, they didn't. But could they win one in the league where you're legitimizing their candidacy because they have a championship? How many teams could win the Big Ten championship? Okay, I think Clemson, Georgia, LSU, Alabama, Ohio State, and maybe Oregon, and maybe Utah. So, you know, that's not to denigrate Ohio. You can only win the championship where you are. It's a little bit like how you dress. You can only wear what's in your closet. I can't wear what's in my neighbor's closet because that's not where I live. You live in the Big Ten, you can only win the Big Ten. You live in the ACC, you can only win the ACC. How many teams can win the ACC? Clemson, Ohio State, Penn State. I think Wisconsin could win the ACC. I think, yeah, how many SEC teams could win the ACC? How many Pac-12 teams could win the ACC? Oklahoma could win the ACC. So, I mean, it's just a dumb argument. Well, we won a league championship. Okay, good. Will you hang out with a bunch of losers? And so you, you're the you're better than all those losers. This is what you know bothers me about the provincial arguments on the playoff. The only way to pick the playoff field is to just, and it's not a perfect way, but I think it's a better way than these like number comparisons for formulas we don't know anything about. The only way is like watch the teams play. And then you have to make a judgment. Wow, they're really fast. They look really good. That's why I told you after Ohio State played Indiana, they're a playoff team. Nobody in the Big Ten is going to come within two touchdowns of them. Because I'd seen Penn State. Yeah, I saw Penn State beat Maryland 59 to nothing. Not impressed. I saw Penn State struggle with Middle Tennessee first half. I'm like, Ohio State will blow them off. Blow them out. Blow their doors off. They will. Michigan, not going to be close. Buckeyes can essentially name it against Michigan. They'll name it against the Chesty Boatman in the Big Ten title game. So, you know, same deal with Clemson. Now Clemson's angry. Saturday night, Clemson looked good. Although Clemson, here's the problem Clemson will have with Ohio State. Didn't stop the run Saturday night at NC State. If Clemson's not, I don't know if I haven't seen paid attention to Clemson's defense on the run side that much because most ACC teams don't try to run it. When I've watched them, that hasn't stuck out to me, but, boy, it stuck out to me Saturday night. They're not very good against the run. At least they weren't in Raleigh. And if they're not good against the run like that, then J.K. Dobbins and Master Teague are going to exact some serious, serious damage against the Clemson Tigers. Okay, Uh, West Jefferson Plumbing and Heating sponsors the faith portion of the podcast, and I'm very grateful for that. West Jefferson Plumbing and Heating, they're awesome people, really, really awesome people, and they Appreciate your business to the point that if you make an appointment with West Jefferson Plumbing and Heating, number one, they will show up. Uh, I had a conversation with the founder of West Jefferson Plumbing and Heating uh, many years ago, and he said, you know, I found when I started my business in 1975 that if I just honored my word and showed up when I said I would show up, that that was so different than other businesses that it gave me 
an avenue to repeat business. So I have found that to be true. Whenever I have an appointment with West Jefferson Plumbing and Heating, if they're going to be late, man, they call. We're running a little, and they don't wait till like the arrival time. They're like, hey, I'm on a job, and it's going to take me X this, and so just so you know. So the courtesy to do that, I think, is awesome. Now, their expertise is unmatched. And their product line, the Lennox high-efficiency product line, is phenomenal. Geothermal heating, heat pumps, they can get uh, ductwork anywhere. And if they can't get ductwork somewhere, they have these new technologies and these new products that will be able to air condition a room or heat a room where you can't get ductwork to it. So West Jefferson Plumbing and Heating, and they'll give you a Spielman and Hooley discount if you mention the podcast, up to hundreds off on a new Lennox high-efficiency furnace. Uh, if you need one, if you don't, hey, heat check. Boy, we're getting cold this week, folks. If you didn't get that furnace check, call them right now, 614-879-9606. Uh, get your filters changed. West Jefferson Plumbing and Heating will have all the filters you need. Any kind of plumbing repair, look for them on the web, westjeffplumbingandheating.com. All right, on the faith side today, without Chris, the one thing I would just tell you is this morning I sat down and I have a habit of uh, reading a chapter of the book of Proverbs um, every day. Uh, a while back, I heard a pastor say that if you want to just sort of get wisdom in your life through osmosis, you should read a chapter of Proverbs every day because he noted there are 31 chapters in Proverbs, and most months have 30 days or 31, except for February. So if you read on the first of the month, you read Proverbs 1. Second day, Proverbs 2, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm a little behind uh, on uh, my dates matching up. So today I was reading Proverbs 8. And so let's go back. I started this habit in February when uh, the zone folded, and I had time in the morning, and I'm so grateful for that time. That's by the way, is in the Spielman and Hooley newsletter this week, which we'd love for you guys to get the newsletter. It would have Chris's NFL schedule, uh, links we're looking at, uh, topics we're going to discuss on the podcast this week, uh, some funny tweets, some uh, heart-tugging tweets, a uh, Faith Corner thing, and um, a sponsor mention. So sign up, Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, so the Proverbs 8 chapter today is a chapter I have read once a month since February. So February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October. Nine months. So now we're in November, 10th month. So I read it nine times. The 10th time, it grabbed me by the lapels every verse. It's about wisdom and about how accessible wisdom is in your life. You know, we all act like, "Ah, I don't know what God wants me to do. I wish I knew. Proverbs 8 makes the point, hey, wisdom stands on a high hill and wisdom calls out what you should do. It's not a mystery how we should conduct our lives. We hide behind this faulty notion that I don't really know what I should do in this situation. I don't know what I should do with my finances. I don't know how I should treat other people. I don't know what I should do about the feelings I have for this woman while I know I'm already married to my wife. I don't know how I should treat my kid. Come on, guys. I've lied to myself that way many, 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 many times. It's not a mystery. So wisdom stands up on a high hill. What, do you, what happens when somebody wants to be heard? Do they stand in the middle of a crowd? No. They get up on a box and they project And that's what Proverbs 8 says wisdom does. It projects. It's calling to you. Are you listening? Are you not listening? So read Proverbs 8. Man, I wrote down like every single verse in there. All absolutely 100% gold. But that's the beauty of the Bible. I read it nine times. It went right over my head like a squadron of blue angels. I read it the tenth time and bam. That's why, as my friend Doug says, Shout out to Doug. I'm wearing the Medtronic top today. Appreciate that very much, my man. 
That's why my friend Doug says, every time you sit down and open the Word of God, it has the potential to change your life. To change your life. That is true. I have found that to be true. And I believe you will find that to be true. And so, dig into it, man. And you'll have moments. You will have moments where something you've read nine times before grabs you and shakes you and says, Hey, pay attention. You need this today. You need this today. I needed that today. I need my partner back. He will be back Wednesday. He's uh, getting some shut-eyed this morning. Well-deserved after his trip to Tampa. And sitting in the airport for five hours. Yikes. We'll see you Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it very much. We tackle life. Life hits hard. You wrap it up. You drive it to the ground. Ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing. I'm living for the world to see. Nobody but Jesus. I'm living for the world to see. Nobody but Jesus. When Moses had stage fright. And David brought a rock to a sword fight. You picked 12 outsiders nobody would have chosen. And you changed the world. Well, the moral of the story is everybody's got a purpose. So when I hear that devil start talking to me, saying, Who do you think you are? I say, I'm.